listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 58, covering The Big Goodbye and Data Lore. Hello, friends. Hi, folks. We're back. We are. With the Star Trek show. That we do. Welcome to the Star Trek show. It's a Star Trek show. Yeah, don't sing. This is the theme for the song for the Star Trek show. Stop that. Alright, stop it. We have important business to get to. And you will not turn this into a musical again. We'll save that for sweeps. Alright. Um we actually got a couple episodes we didn't hate this week, which is weird. Well that was a shock. Yeah. We got about an episode and a half of uh, good episodes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually drew a, a good one, um, and it is called The Long Goodbye. Why don't I tell you about my summer vacation, The Long <laughs> Goodbye? Why don't you? Um, I will. Good. I, I'm going to do that right now. Start then. Okay. So the Enterprise is rendezvousing with a hideous race of alien insects. Trust us, they're hideous. There's no need to actually see them. Picard is memorizing their elaborately ridiculous language. Apparently, if the captain doesn't deliver their precise greeting in exactly the right way, they get killed. These are the people the Federation wants to make friends with. Troy, not being completely useless for the first time ever, helps Picard through the stupid bug speech, then suggests that he take a little time off in that fancy new holodeck we've been hearing so much about. Picard, who's apparently a 30 crime noir enthusiast, who, who says that he isn't, immerses himself in the world of Dixon Hill, the private dick who's a sex machine to at least three chicks. Hilarity ensues as Picard, Data, Beverly, and the ship's historian make their way through a Dixon Hill adventure and get smug about the various things that 24th century man has evolved beyond. Cars, guns, and Halloween. No Halloween in the future. That's actually kind of sad. Naturally, because it's the holodeck, something goes wrong and everything becomes real and deadly and nobody can escape. Picard is threatened first by a horrible Peter Laurie impersonator, then by the boss from Reservoir Dogs, who demands a buck apiece for each of them as an offering, or tip, for their waitress. <laughs> However, since 24th century men has be evolved beyond tipping, they're at a bit of a standoff. Eventually, the mob boss works out that they're on the holodeck, probably because Data and Picard keep telling him that they're on the holodeck, and he tries to walk off. But he's no Moriarty, and he just evaporates like so much Pac-Man. Then the holodeck is fixed, Picard gives his bug speech to a hideous insect leader, who sounds an awful lot like a certain lady captain who lose her ship in the Delta Quadrant in about seven years, and the day is saved. I did not hate this episode. No, this was actually a very enjoyable episode. We're all it was, concerned. Not much happened. Like, no, and it didn't feel dra- like like padded or dra- dragging or anything. But really, when you when you summarize the actual plot, it's like three sentences, and you don't really miss yep. anything. Detective adventure. Dude gets shot. Peter Laurie. Well, and and you know, Peter but it sounds like Janeway, 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 <laughs> or Janeway, the hero of Campton. Yes, exactly. Now, the, the bug voice comes over the thing, and it's like, Ah, Captain Picard! It's like, wow. Really? We, are the, we are the insect race you've been waiting to hear from. Ah. There's coffee in that nebulous of Paris. Nah. <laughs> All right, then. Why don't you tell them about your people, Chakotay? <laughs> I do like the idea of uh, diplomatic relations with a culture that is very precise. Not just precise, but like... Diplomatic relationships with an asshole culture. Well, yes. And I, I actually don't really understand why the Federation is dealing with them like this. But but I do like that they have these very precise, you know, uh, protocols that you have to follow. Uh, well, I, that's kind of cool. 
they like they talk about how the last ship that tried to talk to them, they killed the shit out of them. I don't know. They just said, uh, "Do you want to see the tape?" No, that's okay. No, like, I, I don't, don't think we actually know what happens to them. But it was bad, and yet we still yeah. want to be friends with these guys, even though they're still dickholes. Yeah, I'm not really clear on yeah. that, but uh, but that's yeah, not what the episode know. is about. No, the episode is mostly the first holodeck malfunction ever. Mm-hmm. Um, which becomes a cliche, but we can't hold that against the show yet because this is the first time. We'll save that for when it becomes a cliche. Yeah, oh, and oh boy, does it. Mm-hmm. We're um, looking at you, fistful of datas. Oh, God. Um, so, I, my only actual problem, my, not a huge problem, but a, a bit of one, is Picard's not exactly in character here. He's really delighted with Dixon Hill and... and having fun, and to the enthusiasm to the point of holding a staff meeting to say, everyone in the holodeck is great! This is a little weird. Yeah. The, he, he he pulls this, this meeting, and it, it looks like it's to, when I was watching it, I assumed it was going to be about him, you know, inviting the rest of the bridge crew to join him on a, on a wonderful Dixon Hill adventure. But it turns out that was just sort of the pre-meeting, like, conversation. Yeah, and then they go into the to the bug alien thing. Yeah, which makes me wonder why Wesley got to be invited. Yeah, I'm not really clear on that either. I just it, it's I don't know. It, like I liked Patrick Stewart played the enthusiasm oh, well. Totally. And the thing is, I we would all feel like that if if you've never been on a holodeck before and and they just invented it or they just perfected it mm-hmm. and you got to play on it for the first time, you'd be all like, "Oh my god, this is great! This I is love so this! Freaking cool!" And he played that really well. It just doesn't feel like the Picard that we'll we'll get to know later. No, no, but I like. I can't really hold that against it because they didn't entirely know the character yet. Yeah, so. no, I. I I feel like there are scenarios that Picard would like want to go off and do role playing adventures on, but a thirties crime novel sort of doesn't seem to work for me. No, and they even directly say, well, uh, you know, Data's like, well, what's the deal with this? And Jordy says, it's like Sherlock Holmes, only you know, a little dumber. <laughs> And they don't they don't disparage it, but no. it is like this is pulp and yours is more intellectual. Yeah. And I just I feel like Picard would be more into the more intellectual thing as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I I feel like this happened a lot early on, and eventually some of the better writers later on would figure out what Picard was really about. But for a while, he's just into whatever they want him to be into. Yeah. Just, they end up sort of using the excuse that he's a Renaissance man, but it's really that he's kind of a mess, and they don't know what he's what he likes. Yeah. And, and archaeology all... and Shakespeare. Well, the archaeology was something that they, they latched onto later on and stayed consistent mm. with. But there were so many other things where it was like, really? He's into that, huh? Yeah, okay. Whatever. And like Kirk, I always felt like I knew exactly what that kind of guy was. Mm-hmm. He was kind of a, an aging, middle-aged douchebag who wanted to go skydiving and extreme sportsing. And, you know, like, that's just the guy he is. Can I ride a snowboard down a mountain while on fire? Yeah. That is totally all Kirk. Mm-hmm. But... Picard, I just, I don't know. What is what is he into? He's a mystery. He's an enigma. and Not in a good way. Nope. But again, Stuart plays a great, it's a fun episode, and as long as you don't compare it to what comes after, it doesn't really matter. It's just a lot of fun. Yes. So who cares? Basically, yes. And that's that's kind of our our guiding principle here is, you know, if the episode's fun, we'll, we'll ignore stuff like that, and that's, that is the case mm-hmm. here. I mean, we've said that before. We're on record as saying continuity doesn't matter if the story's Yeah, exactly. I mean, at that, the end of the day, much applies here. at the end of the day, we're here to enjoy ourselves, not like nitpick. Not, that no, we're not those. That's guys. a different. That's a book. That that is, I'm sure, several other podcasts. And, yeah, Ugh. And, and so forth. Um, see also the rest of the internet. <laughs>
That is what we're trying to bring to this that is different, is that we're the guys who don't do that. Mm. Uh, that said, I will say that they did actually do a nice echo without being a direct reference uh, to the original series. There's a bit where uh, Data's in his pinstripes and his fedora, and, and the characters in the, the hollow novel uh, don't really know what his deal is. Yep. Like, what, what is, what's in regards to his eyes from South America? And it's, it's very much an echo of uh, uh, he got his ears caught in a rice paper. Yeah, well, without being uh, overtly racist. No, but it was it was nice because those of us who who are familiar with the original series will say, "Hey, that's that's kind of a reference." To yeah, that. exactly. If not, it's still fine on its own. It's just a nice. That's more the kind of thing they should be doing to the original series, not not the naked now. Yeah. Remember when Captain Kirk dealt with this? No. Uh, shut up. Just just shut up, lady. Um, definitely the best I've seen Doctor Crusher uh, acting so far. Yep, definitely. Also looking. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> When she's all forties up and the in like the, the veil and the you know, the dress and There's this great uh there's this great moment where she meets uh Picard and Data and New Guy in a uh police station and she sits down next yeah, Picard is Dixon Hill's been uh, being questioned yeah. so they have to wait. Um and she sits down next to a uh and to, next to a uh, hooker and starts <laughs> sort of comparing how she's dressed to how the hooker's dressed, sort of pulls up her skirt a bit, mm-hmm. opens the uh, cleavage, and then a cop leads the the hooker away. She sort of, it sort of processes, and she closes the buttons it back yeah. up again. And yeah, no, that was and it was all silent. Yeah, like the first time I was busy taking notes and I missed it. And Amanda's laughing. I'm like, what? What did I miss? And she had to show me. And like, oh yeah, that is pretty good. So also, we may not have money, but we definitely still have hookers in the future. So because <laughs> she knew what it was. That's true. Yep. Um, no Halloween. Well, but we've is... got hookers. Well, got to keep our priorities. Well, yeah. Right? Um, okay, so let, let's talk about the whole holodeck uh, malfunction. I mean, malfunctioning, I don't care so much, but the safety protocol thing. I guess I get if you want someone like Worf going and training in something intensive and actually dangerous, I get why it's possible to turn off the safety protocols. And you need, like, why? you need, like, two command staff to do it. Yeah, you can't, just, like, a suicidal guy shouldn't just be able to go in and turn it off himself. Mm. It should definitely be, like, a two-man thing. I, so I understand why that function exists. But why would you tell the holodeck what a gun is? Why would you even give it the information about gunpowder and bullets? Like, that just seems like you're asking for trouble. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I get that they're probably trying to make it as accurate as possible. But, like, yeah, but accurate up to the it, point where you can get shot is not a lot of fun. Well, plus having a gun on a spaceship. I mean, the obvious thing is it's going to puncture the hull and, you know, all the air is going to leak out. Well, I mean, so there's also that. with the holodeck, I doubt it's up against, like, one of the, bo- like, you know, the, yeah, the ship. Know. And the bullets can't exist outside of the holodeck, so. Except that, I don't Except know. Except the then sort you of up... they do. And... Okay, now, again, we're not the nitpickers, and I don't care that much, but I do like internal logic. And Picard walks off the holodeck with uh, a woman's lipstick on his face. I, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I can see that being real. Uh, Crusher takes a piece of gum and chews it and actually swallows it in a nice little comedy moment mm-hmm. there. I can see that being real. But when you get into carrying objects off the, the holodeck or like, I don't know, there's a bit where the, the crime boss actually steps off and he's there in, in the deck for a full 10 seconds before he starts to disappear. Mm-hmm. It just seems like, I don't know, he should have just vanished when he walked out the door. The fact that he made it out even for a second. Well, that makes the seems... most sense. But I mean, up to this point, we have no proof that stuff, you know, like just automatically vanishes when it goes outside. 
I guess that's true. I guess it was meant to be sort of a shock to us. Mm. And I mean, like, even um, if you go back to Encounter at Farpoint, that, like, Wesley stayed yeah, wet Wesley when he came outside in. a snow... Was it a snowball that can't? No, that's that. I'm thinking ahead now. That was a different episode, but same same idea. Yeah. He was playing the, by the holodeck, and a snowball came out. Yeah, um, but no. See, I I believe, and I again, I don't care about the technical crap. From what I understand, most of it's an illusion, projected illusion, a hologram, and then the actual physical objects are like matter that it creates, like the transporter, mm-hmm. like it uses energy and turns it into matter, yeah. and most of it's fake. Um, but it's real stuff that that you know, it, it, you can touch it and you can interact with it. And so it makes sense that you could take it off the holodeck, and I guess maybe a real, you know, a living thing is different. I don't I know. I mean, if it uses, like, replicator technology, too, there's no reason that it shouldn't, that you shouldn't be able to... Well, it seems like if you're eating food on the holodeck, that would be real, because yeah. it would just be replicated. That's why the gum was an actual thing she could put in her mouth and swallow. Yeah, or, like, in the second season, I think it's the, the uh, elementary deer data, I think someone takes a piece of paper out of the holodeck. Mm. And I mean, like, honestly, if you really want to think about it, you can probably think of reasons for that to work. Yeah, and again, I don't really care about yeah. the, you know, as long as it's internally consistent, I don't care how it mm. works. But, uh, and I, I, the only reason I kind of care is because I think it's interesting when they find stories to write about the way it works. Yes. I mean, the whole uh, ship in a bottle, which is easily the best holodeck episode they ever did, one of the best episodes they ever oh, did, totally. period, in my book. I mean, if, when when we get to the end of these 178 episodes, and I do my top ten, that'll be in mm-hmm. it. Um, that pretty much took everything we knew about the holodeck and kind of fucked with it. And so, I mean, you have to know these things for for episodes like that to work. You have to have a basic understanding of how it's supposed to work, so that they can then fuck with your head. Right. So that's more why I'm concerned with it than why I, I absolutely have to know. It's mostly just because the narrative of the show sort of depends on you knowing how things work. So. Want to know? Yes, absolutely. Uh, on, on a totally other subject, I have a note here that the the guy who slaps the meat together is busy this week. Uh, there was a lot of fist. Uh, there was a lot of fist punching in this episode. A lot of like that, you know, the old old style forties movie punching. Like there's an there's an episode of Mystery Science Theater where uh, Joel is showing the bots how how those punch sounds are made, and he's slapping two pieces of meat together. And that's I'm actually I'm pretty sure that's how Foley artists actually make that noise. Yep. So, Makes uh, sense to me. It was, it, I just I assume someone's just not not foleying it after the fact, but actually standing off camera. I assume the, the, the holodeck created Joel from with the set of meat slappers. Yes, yes, exactly. He's just behind and, the uh, wall. Yeah, or the black. Just another guy in a yeah, just a just another guy in a red jumpsuit. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why not. That would totally. But work. Picard didn't like um, him, so he abandoned him on <laughs> SETI Alpha Five in space. <laughs> This is City Alpha 5. Um, I like the crime boss. Uh, he was, of course, the uh, the boss from Reservoir Dogs. Um, can't remember. Oh, Lawrence Tierney is yeah. the guy's name. And and they wrote him in a really cool way. He 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 was sort of intellectual. Like, he, he had a sophistication about him, and he understood sort of advanced things. Yeah. And not in that, I'm a tough guy trying to be smart way that's funny, but actually in a real, like, you know, uh, he made a reference to Newton at mm-hmm. one point, and uh, it, it was cool. It was it was it was a nice little detail that I think made the character more interesting. Yes, as opposed to his sidekick Peter Lorre, who was just Peter Lorre. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Not a very good one either. <laughs> so yeah, um, my only other note here was um, okay, so they're stuck in the holodeck, and the holodeck is a finite space, obviously. 
which simulates you being able to go here, go there, because it kind of puts you on a treadmill and scrolls the background and that kind of thing. Seems to me you could just break it if the four of you each walk in a different direction. Yeah. Because you're, you're eventually going to hit a wall, and it can't make you all think you're in the same big place. It's eventually got to break, you know? Well, I mean, technically, if it uses conveyor belts, then uh, it's got, you know, you'd have four conveyor belts going in four separate directions, and you just... Yeah, I suppose that's true. They could just keep uh, or the com- keep them on treadmills Or forever. the computer could just keep putting walls in front of you, so you had to keep turning. Yeah, also good. Okay, you're, you've, you've, uh, you've, ex- you've no-prized that one away for me. Sorry. Thank you for that. No, 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 that's good. That's good. That means that means it holds up. So, well done. I used to think about uh, the holiday quite else? a bit. Yeah, I, I think we all have. So, as we get towards the end of the episode, um, we've got Wesley and Jordy trying to, you know, get everyone out. And at one point, Wesley worries that if the, uh, if the holodeck breaks down and aborts the program, uh, everyone in it will vanish. That's retarded. Yeah, that's like the Arrested Development episode where um, Job is talking about making the yacht disappear, and, and George Michael's worried that if he's mm-hmm. on the yacht, that he'll just be floating there in the air. <laughs> it, that's that's some weird com- cartoon logic going on there. It's like, that's no, it, if the program aborts, then the program will stop, and you can go get them. Yeah, that room with a grid in it that we've all seen. Yeah, they're not going to vanish. That's stupid. You're stupid, Wesley. Why are you an acting ensign? Yeah, nobody knows. Go sit in your Um, room. (laughs) uh, I I do like, and this is something that goes throughout the series, I like the simple effect of the holodeck arch appearing in the environment that, you know, that they're simulating. Oh, yeah. It's it's either blue screen or just physically moving the arch to where they're going, but it's it's always just out of place enough without looking like a bad effect. Mm Mm-hmm. That I think it's really cool. I I just I like the image of seeing the ship out a door, but inside it's like this atmosphere. It's, yeah. it, it's a neat effect. And there's also some like when they're inside the holodeck. There's a couple of great shots of like a crowded sort of, I think it's Chicago or something, mm-hmm. like a crowded sort of 1930s city, and then just this door with and you can see you know the Enterprise and like crew members walking past the door. It's really cool. Yeah, it's a nice little subtle thing. Like, they don't call huge attention to no. it, but it's, it's cool. Very nice. It's masterfully right. executed. Yeah. No, and I actually, I feel like the last few weeks, uh, with the directing has finally stabilized. There's not weird angles and strange close-ups anymore. They seem to be settling in on a house style that's not as yeah. terrible, which is nice. Yes. All right. Anything else? Uh, No, I think that's it. All right, so my good thing was, well, the first appearance of a holodeck mishap is actually kind of fun and scary where it needs to be because, you know, for the fir- realizing that this is a real place that we're trapped in, like, it's not a cliche yet. It's actually kind of scary the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, God, these people can actually shoot us with real guns. This and, is not cool. And also the fact that you could be killed by something as ridiculous as a mob boss and his Peter Laurie assistant. Who were all made up by a guy who's long dead. Yeah. And- Aren't even real. The, the dude, yeah. like the dude they're with, gets shot at one point, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I hope this guy doesn't die because this would be such a such a sad, pathetic death for someone. No, and what are you going to tell his family? Yeah, exactly. He got That's... shot playing pong, basically. Yeah, not cool at all. Uh, my bad thing was, well, this does set an unfortunate trend for episodes to come. But again, that's mm. that's really not this episode's fault. All right. Uh, my good thing is the acting in this is just absolutely delightful. 
Yeah, it is. Like all four of the of the characters in the um in the holodeck are just having such a good time, and it's so and, obvious. And this is this is Picard, Beverly Data, and the historian, who's a character we've never seen before, and we I don't think we see again. No, but he's he's a good actor, and he's 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 not like the odd one out. Like he keeps up with the rest of them, and you're absolutely right; they're all just having a blast. Yeah, like up until um, like up until he gets shot, everyone's just like, "Oh, this is lovely." Oh, and look, he just pulled a gun. Isn't that great? Oh, my God, look, at you have a gun. That's adorable. Oh, take you a picture shot of me him. with the gun guy. <laughs> oh, no, that's no, not. no, after after he gets shot, Beverly does this great little, oh, wonderful. Yep. And then as a doctor, like, oh, there, oh. that's blood. Oh, shit. Okay. I actually, in particular, you're calling out the acting. Like I said, I think this is the first time Gates McFadden sort of uh, transcended beyond the, uh, the, the soap opera acting that we talked about a week mm. or two ago. And really starts doing more believable stuff. I think they might have found her range, which is more the more fun stuff and less melodrama. Yeah. And uh, Data in particular. Just, I mean, we're still in cheesy Data doing over-the-top human stuff, but it was so much fun. Yep. Doing the gangster voice. The range is hot in San Francisco. Yeah, it was was fun. Uh, You got a bad thing? Oh, yeah. Apparently in the future there's no Halloween. That's fucking stupid. Yeah, I feel like you know when we when we were planning to to move over to next gen, like okay, let's change our uh, let's change the feature we have. We had in the future, and then we had the alternate titles, and okay, let's go to good thing, bad thing. That's that's the thing. Um, and I feel like we almost should have done the smug future man of the week thing. Yep. I what didn't we move realize. Beyond? Yeah, but it happens every week. Every week, it's like, oh, we used to do that, but now we don't. We don't have Halloween on my planet. Rumble, rumble. Yeah, shut up, lady. And I'm pretty sure that's all Gene. Yep. Because it seems to go away when, when he goes away. When he goes so. away. <laughs> all the way away. All right. Um, no, in the future, we've moved, again, we've moved past the stupid tradition of having an awesome holiday about monsters. Yeah. Holiday where you get to dress up as sexy things. Uh-huh. And get free candy. Yeah. Fuck you, Gene. <laughs> all right, Matt. Why don't you tell us about oh, you're, the you're, not you're very... Quote, dude. Oh, right, of course, the quote. Once again, I've forgotten how my own show works. My quote is, uh, well, Picard giving his insect speech, which I just find amusing and kind of cool. Ad klaxon ris blajblan arnik karnik. Ad trasulah. I wonder if Patrick Stewart was actually uh, uh, asked to <laughs> memorize a specific <clears throat> set of syllables, or if he just got to make that up. Yeah, I was I'd wondering like if think, that was improv or not. I, I'd like to think that the actor actually had to deliver it as written, which would make it a little funnier. No, I, I'm sorry, Patrick, that was too chuck. I have to Damn take it. that again. Oh, God. All right. How to take... See, he's, he's, such a, uh, he's such a pro that he would yep. do it. All right, now, moving on to the not very cleverly titled Data Lore. Data Lore. All right. After a, success- After a successful mission doing something or other, Enterprise decides to stop off at Data's home planet and see if they can find any clues to his secret origin. Instead, they find a giant underground complex like one in every video game ever, and they also find a mysterious disassembled Data. They bring the new Data clone back to the Enterprise, intent on reassembling it, so that Data can have that little brother that he always prayed for. Eventually, he is reassembled and calls himself Lore, uh, using the combined know-how of Dr. Crusher and 
the only ever surviving chief engineers so far, the Enterprise's stalwart companion, Argyle. Uh, Lore is the second android ever cr- to be created by uh, Data's creator, Dr. Noonien Soong, named after one of history's greatest monsters. There's absolutely nothing even slightly suspicious about Lore. Not the way he lies to the bridge crew, or covers up the knowledge he already has, or the way that he searches the ship for information, or the way that, or the way that he slips a Mickey to Data and steals his identity and credit cards. <laughs> the only person who notices the swap is Wesley, who realizes the truth when Data starts acting at a character, twitching all over the damn place, using contractions, and describing ways that Lore could theoretically impersonate Data. If that happened. Which it didn't. Shut up. Wesley attempts to tell the bridge crew, but they decide to finally start listening to us for a change and tell him to go fuck himself. So Wesley whines to his mother until she realizes that he's right. They go and reactivate the real data, there's a brief cart fight in the cargo deck, and then Laura's beamed out into space where he'll be no trouble at all. <laughs> okay, what, what I said to Matt, because I, I had a chance to watch this before we watched it together, was the first half of this episode is outstanding. Oh like, god, it so is. Far above anything season one had done so far. It, Nice mystery, a little bit of creepiness on the planet, then, ooh, a data, like, you know, data's past, everything. And then it just completely falls apart around the third or fourth act, and it just turns into absolute crap. Yeah, it's just embarrassingly bad. And the thing is, the the, the bit about, um, there's a the crystalline entity, I don't know if you mentioned that. No, I didn't. The, uh, in your summary, there's a, the, the colony that data was created on ended up being wiped out by this really cool crystal-based uh, monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's absolutely nothing organic left on, on the planet at all. And so it's a nice mystery for the guys to beam down and find, uh, first just to find nothing, yeah. to find no remnants of life, even plant life is gone, even bacteria in the soil is gone. Um, and then to eventually uncover where the lab was and to, to gradually, like it's, it's written really well and it's paced really well because there's a mystery that leads into another mystery, which leads into another mystery. And it really keeps you excited and keeps you engaged. But then once they get Lore up to the ship and they assemble him, uh, Spiner as Lore is fantastic. Oh, yeah. No, I love – he's got this sort of weird, like it, – it's sort of over-the-top villainous, but, like, in a way that I find really appealing. No, and, and you can tell this is all the stuff Spiner has been bottling up while he has to play Data. Yeah. Like, he wants to let some of this out, and he's just kind of overcompensating now. And, well, dear brother. Dear brother. And we were, we were talking to a friend of ours, Adrian, who's going to be on the show in a few weeks, and, and he was saying he thought it was a little kind of cheesy and over the top. And uh, He's yeah, right, I, mean, everyone's... I find that delightful. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, every, everyone has their opinion, and mine is, I like that the opposite of data is, is the opposite of data. Yep. <laughs> and he... Apparently talks like Tomax and Zaymon. Yeah. <laughs> a bit. Um <laughs> No, I, I I really enjoy him doing that, and they, they, they had some really good scenes with them together. Um, but his plan, that's when it starts to fall apart. Lore's ridiculous, stupid plan. Uh-huh. Actually, his plan isn't bad. His plan is to uh, give the crew of the Enterprise to the crystalline entity, which is, okay, that's fine. Um, I was assumed but, it was because he was in love with it. I, that could be. I have no proof for this, and I don't think anything comes up even when they bring back the Christmas. Oh, I thought you were making a joke. I didn't really. No, I always, for some reason, I always genuinely believe that. I think in its next appearance, well, no, because they both appear again, Mm -hmm. but they appear separately. Like, you don't get Laura and the Crystalline Entity together again. You get the Crystalline Entity again, you get Laura again. Um, But I I could swear he, he had this idea that organic life should be wiped out. It should be him and Data. And the crystal, and that's it. Best friends forever. Yes. 
I, they have a, apparently he has an idea for a sitcom pilot. <laughs> Two um, androids and a crystalline entity. But um, the actual plan, like the plan itself, is fine. It's you know, okay. He, he thinks they're superior and and humans are inferior. Fine. But the way he goes about it, like you said, he slips him a Mickey, and that wasn't you taking comedic license. I that wish actually that I was happened. taking comedic license with that. He, he got a bottle of champagne, he poured two glasses, and he poisoned one of them. Yep. What the fuck? Just dumps a load of Iocane powder into one of them. Ugh. The wor- and then, of course, Data falls. And Okay, then there's the contraction thing, which doesn't make any sense. No. First of all, Data's been speaking in contractions all along. Yep. And from this point forward, they won't, because they made a plot point out of it. Yep. But, uh, and then he's got the facial tick that Laura somehow removes from himself and gives to Data. Apparently, with a uh, with your standard issue facial tick remover and transporter, look like a sonic screwdriver to me. Well, yeah, well that makes then that explains how I could do it. Then I'm sure the actual sonic screw, screwdriver can put a tick on anyone. I I don't doubt it. Um, the doctor's always having to put put ticks on people. Oh no, Daleks! Well, listen, this is... it. oh god, what what's happening to my mouth? <laughs> See, I, I would have to turn this over to our to our Doctor Who experts over at the Drunken Time Travel. Yes. I don't actually know. I, I'm just I, I don't know. Daleks are way outside of my uh, my area of expertise. But uh, I only but know soon... one thing about Dal- or about Cybermen. They're best at sucking and dying. <laughs> so uh, one of the cool um, mysteries that they had was uh, soon actually wasn't revealed as their creator until well into the episode. There's this whole thing. Where Data doesn't know who his creator is. No, and I, that's interesting, and always... too, because, like, I just always thought of that as just like, oh, well, he was created by Dr. Noonien soon. No, and, and it, it made me realize that as the, sh- as the show unfolds, Data learns a little more about his background and about himself, you know, like, how he was made and, and the conditions under which he was made. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of cool, because at this point, you know, prior to this episode, he didn't know anything. He knew uh, a Starfleet crew came to this planet and woke me up. And yep. that was it. That's all he knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's cool that he went there looking for some answers, and he got some. Uh, my creator was apparently Noonien Soon, named for Khan Noonien Singh, I guess. I, apparently his parents were horrible. Big Hitler fans. I don't know. <laughs> Space Hitler. And um, He ter- turns and out he I has one brother. Only one. And only there were no one. other androids built ever. No, I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure if there had been another android built, someone would have mentioned it by this point. Not certainly by only the last movie, because that yeah. would be sloppy and terrible. After like 15 years. And the thing is, okay, really, I, the B4, the fact that they he built sort of a crude android that didn't turn out as well as the others, I actually buy that mm-hmm. as a thing. But when you don't say a word about it, and then suddenly, oh yeah, here it is. That's that's what bugs me. It's been a while since I've seen Nemesis, but apparently they just found him buried in the desert. Yeah, and a, and a planet in the neutral zone, as I recall, like way the fuck out yeah. in the middle of nowhere. That's asinine. Yeah, a bit asinine. But again, I would have bought that if they, you know, if they allowed some possibility for well, maybe he made more. Maybe he, um, brought, maybe he built a hundred androids. Maybe he also built a robot duplicate of his wife. Because why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... But for now, the fact that there's two of them makes it kind of tragic and kind of cool. There are two of them. But then, as you say, they just sort of beam him out into space, and then, oh, time to go! Mm-hmm. That's it. That's uh, that's the resolution. And, you know, you and I, as as longtime readers of comics, know no body, no death. No. 
we did not see Lore's body, so he obviously is still alive. Now, as Pat Oswalt puts, that's where the Joker dies in Batman every month. Yeah. Um, and okay, I'll say it. Lore is not a very good commando name. No. Data is not clever, but at least it implies there's a robot. I still get it. They're both like a type of information. I suppose. But I mean, like, it's, it's still not a good yeah. name. No. Oh, and we get a definitive answer. Well, I consider it definitive as to whether Lore is anatomically correct or not, because there's a bit where Riker's saying, so do he, does he have all the parts you have? And the way he says it, and the fact that it's Riker asking... Yeah, clearly he wants yeah. to know about uh, Lore's penis. Yeah, and, and Data says yes. So that's that settled, in case you were wondering. Because our theory was that Dr. Soon built Lore with emotions and Data with the penis, yes. but apparently that's not true. Incidentally, the title Penis Lore would be even worse for this episode. No, I think it would be about the same. <laughs> But like I say, in this in the second half, this completely falls apart. The fact that this plan is just ridiculous. Oh god! Um, and then the fact that only Wesley can figure it out. Yeah, apparently and nobody believes him. Apparently, everyone on the everyone else on the Enterprise took stupid pills. I guess. Like, and here's here's the thing we were talking about before the show. Okay, we don't like that Wesley. You know that there's a kid on the bridge, but the fact is, the show has asked us to accept the fact that. There is an acting ensign who is 14 or however he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Therefore, okay, fine. We don't like it, but we're going to accept it. We're going to move on. We're not going to dwell on this. We're going to, we're going to, moving forward, we're going to try and take him seriously. Yeah, no, this is the, these were the cards we were dealt with this series. Yep. So. And the show does not take him seriously. The, 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 the people who surround him don't respect him, don't listen to him. It's very hard for us as, as our, an already skeptical audience to take this character at all seriously mm. when. Picard, you know, doesn't. No. As we will see in my quote. Yeah, I, that's what I was about to say. I didn't want to step on your quote. No. So, yeah. Um, but it, it just seems like, what's the point of him? If he's going to be the kid outsider, well, I don't like that, but okay, fine. If he's going to be a junior officer, well, well then, I don't like that, but okay, yeah, fine. But, but you, can't, you can't have it both ways. Like, if he's no. going to be... And if he's going to oh. be a member of the crew, then... Yeah, part of the bridge crew, like, giving his input with everyone else. Yeah, the, and being invited to meetings, apparently. Yeah. Then, then he, they have to take him seriously. Then they have to take him seriously. And you can't just shoot him down... Yeah. Because... You yeah. can't just shoot him no. down because you think he's stupid. So, okay, we're, we're kind of defending Wesley here. But, on the other hand, Wesley's reaction to all of this is just really petulant mm -hmm. and just bratty yep. and just like it doesn't if he had at least responded to this in a dignified well if you guys are going to act like children i'm at least going to be an adult like i could have handled yeah. that but no instead but he no goes, his he, reaction is a child's reaction he literally goes to his room and tells his mother yeah and he storms off with this little pouty look yep. and it's just okay fine picard doesn't take you seriously i could even see that as being a dramatic threat mm -hmm. He's 14, you know, it's the Doogie Hauser thing. It's hard to be taken seriously when you're a child genius. All right. But then to continue to act like a child does not help no. in any way. So, yeah, not cool. <sighs> um, there's the whole contractions thing, which, which is, as we said. Wait, for, first of all, is stupid. Like, there's no reason that Data can't yeah. use contractions. He does use contractions. And then they fuck it up at the end. Yeah, in the same episode. Like, it's one thing, okay, previous episodes have contradicted it, but whatever. Mm -hmm. But no, in this but same this episode. This episode that makes such a huge fucking deal out of it. It's a plot point. Yeah. 
And yeah, at the end, what is it? The, the, uh, How are you, Data? Data? Are you okay? I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, after all that. Yeah. Like so, if the, cool. if this show had been made now, that would have meant that like da- that like lore had replaced Data somehow, and it would have led into something else. Yep. But now it's just stupid. Yep. It's stupid, and I um, like, I don't want to be the guy who catches the nitpick. But that's a really that's a really stupid mistake. Well, the thing is, if the show is going to make a point of making us notice mm-hmm. it, then they need to be aware of it. Yeah. I don't care if he uses contractions. I mean, Microsoft Word in 1987 had a find and replace function. Mm-hmm. It's not difficult for Data to say, take every in- instance of I am and replace with I'm. That is that is basic computer there. Yep. I, I, I'd be fine with that. But, yeah, if you're going to make a plot point out of it, then fucking be consistent yeah. with it. That's just common sense to me, but. Ah, whatever. Again, really great start. Yeah, no. Really kind of sloppy finish. Uh, and I liked the Crystalline Entity. The, the Crystalline Entity was awesome looking. And it looked cool. Yep. Um, a little, little, you know, little cheesy, but for this show so far, for 1987, I mean, it, I thought it looked spot on. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was different. And I've, I've said this over and over again, and I will continue to say this through season one. A different exotic alien, yep. which the show just gets so fucking lazy in its later years. It's nice to see them come up with an alien that isn't just, you know, wrinkly nose. Oh, look, it's the, looks like a human except for the three ridges on his upper, on his upper left ear entity. Yeah. No, they really tried, like, with the, with the Cobra people last week, yep. with the, you know, the crystalline entity. They, they tried, you know, these, uh, these unseen insect people. Like, okay, that was a bit of a cop-out, but it, still, they were clearly not humanoid. And I feel like now they could have done that with some CG. But, you know, it's. It, it, I think they're trying a little harder than they will later to present space as being filled with weird things. Yeah. And I like that. I think that's very cool. I agree. With All you. right. And it, <laughs> anything else about this? I mean, this was, you know, like I said, there was a lot of good here. I, it just kind of fell apart I, at the end. Really great start, really shitty ending, you know? Like, yeah. there is a lot of... This could have been a really, really excellent episode. Yeah, this could have been excellent compared to the whole series, not just good for season no. one. As it stands, I think there's enough good in it that it's still quite good for season one. Oh, yeah. One. I blame Gene for the crappy bits. Well, I mean, definitely when we get into the, well, we're so great in the future mm-hmm. crap. Oh, there we go. That was our instance of the, of this episode was uh, Data's, <laughs> Data's uh, there's a great comedy moment at the beginning where it's this big deal that they're going to his home planet for the first mm-hmm. time. And... Data's like, ooh, is Data excited? And we go to his 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 quarters, and he's not excited. He's uh, practicing how to sneeze. Yes. Which is, you know, it's funny because, you know, the robot doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have emotions. He's not excited. Uh, he wants to go there. but uh, plume. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's it's dumb. Yeah, but it, and it's sort of vaudeville but it's funny. It, it and is, I like and it. I buy it from that from the character. Yeah, I like Data. And they'll, they'll ease this up in later seasons, but... Early on, I like his attempts to be human, mm-hmm. to the extent of trying to sneeze. Well, humans sneeze. But, they sneeze all the time. Yeah, but when when he says that, uh, Wesley makes some comment about, oh, uh, colds don't exist anymore. Like, oh, shut up, No, no, even man. worse. Colds are something my mother once told me about. Yeah, from a medical history book. Uh-huh. A dusty old <sighs> medical history book. God damn it. And I'm pretty sure they had them in the original series, you were saying. Yep. And, uh, no, the, the, so, the, that comes up, uh, I think Bones is talking about how they still have cured the common cold. Which makes sense to me, because that, you know, that that's 
sort of the irony of, of medical, you know, uh, technology now is we've cured a lot of things and the cold is still with us. And it's kind of funny that they still have that in the future, but yeah. So 75 years, they, you know, between that time they cured it. Not only did they cure it, but it became completely And they lost all knowledge of it. Yes. Now no one knows what it is. The myth of the common cold. Shut up, future man. It never came that, up. That should have been our segment. Shut up, yeah. future man. It never came up, but I want to say Bones cured it. Ah, oh, very well. Now, he's still around, so that's totally plausible. He's still around, and he's still providing like, no, like good medical solutions. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, Beverly's not. You guys are dumb. Let me show you how to do it. Damn it! Step aside. Let me do it. All right. Anything else about this one? Mm, nope. Uh, well, my good thing, Spiner as lore is great. Obviously, just he's you know he's fantastic. Uh, I, my bad thing, Lore's subterfuge leaves a bit to be desired. Yeah, he's not what you'd call sneaky. No, he was like tiptoeing around with a evil grin on his yep. face and saying, "I'm on your team." <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, brother. Alright, my good thing is, it's nice to see Wesley getting yelled at like he deserves. <laughs> yes. But, uh, my bad thing is that, but uh, if we're supposed to be taking him seriously, you probably shouldn't be doing that. No, and I think that leads us nicely into your Indeed quote. Indeed it does. It's it right now. Sir, I know this may finish me as an acting ensign, but... Shut up, Wesley! Lieutenant, pick a good security team and let me know what he does. Aye, sir. Shut up, Wesley? Doctor. And since I am finished here, sir, may I point out that... Shut up, Wesley. Yeah, and I had a note here that, uh, Matt, if this isn't your quote, I'm playing it anyway. Because this is, this is one of those famous moments. This is, you know, like when we get to Cupid, we have to play I'm Not a Merry Man. And this is another one that everyone remembers from this show. Yeah. So, there you go. Shut up, Wesley. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> Write it in the sky in gossamer teardrops. Ah. Will Wheaton hates this line, but you know what? He had it coming. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is all for this week. Uh, next week, I don't know what we're doing. I think we have a guest on next, next week. Next week, we've got Angel One, one zero zero one zero one. Oh, yeah. And two short a season. We are doing three. Okay. And our pal Bob's going to be all right. So uh, looking forward to that. So, Matt, tell them the thing you say. Hey, folks. Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.